You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Elizabeth grew up in a fairly conservative church where she grew strong in her relationship with the Lord. However, a few years later, she felt the Lord calling her to ministry, specifically the one of pastor, because God had given her the gift of teaching. She knew that this decision would upset her family and her home church that she had grown up in, but she felt obligated to follow this calling. She told her husband what the Lord had put on her heart, and her husband fully supported her decision. So she left her home church and to join another local church that allowed for the training and ordination of women pastors. In this new church, she felt liberated both in her marriage and also in ministry. She still cares about her parents, but knows that they will never approve of the life that she feels God is calling her to. Before I begin addressing Elizabeth, I want to make it clear that Galveston Bible Church believes and stands by the biblical view that God has ordained different complementary roles for both men and women in marriage and ministry, also called complementarianism. The opposite view is called egalitarianism, in that God has ordained the same roles for both men and women. Elizabeth transitioned from a complementarian church to an egalitarian one. Now, was she right to do so? Were her freedoms in Christ really being limited? Or was her role in marriage and the church intended to shed light on a greater reality? I want to be clear, the issue of gender roles in church and marriage is not a salvation or a primary issue. This means the stance that you take on this issue has no bearing on salvation. So why are we discussing this at church? Because it is important to your witness as a believer. This church takes the complementarian position because we see that the Bible affirms that both men and women are made in the image of God, but are prescribed different roles, roles that complement each other and call men and women to trust God in how he has designed them and that there is a reason for it. Within the American church, we see churches splitting over this very issue. In the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the largest gatherings they've had quite recently, they were discussing the topic of gender roles within the church. And outside of the church, the belief that gender roles are different are seen as misogynistic and degrading towards the value of women. Women in complementarian churches to the outside world are seen as being limited in their freedoms and potential, both within the church and at home. A reason that many churches are egalitarian is not because of scripture, but because of the influence of this culture. To better understand this topic, we must understand scripture as a whole. And scripture first and foremost points to our spiritual condition, our depraved spiritual condition, in which we chase after realities that seem so worth it and so good. But these realities are really just temporary fleeting measures of happiness and empty promises of freedom. Without God, we are all slaves to sin, living in perpetual offense against God. It is while we were in our sinful state that Jesus, who is God, took on our sin and our offenses upon himself by submitting to the Father's will. 
In Christ's submission, he brings us who believe in him to live a new life with him. In this newness of life, we are not focused on what is temporary, but on what is eternal, which is Christ. On a similar note, when discussing biblical gender roles, we must understand that sin broke our view of gender roles. Sin sets our hearts on what is temporary and fleeting instead of what is eternal. But since Christ submitted to the will of the Father, we are also called to submit to God's word. Today, we will be discussing the topic of gender roles with an eternal perspective on marriage and ministry, which brings us to our first point within today's topic of gender roles, and that is gender roles within marriage. To dive deeper into this, I would like for all of us to turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, as we will be in Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. It starts off in Ephesians 5, verses 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This passage calls wives to submit to their husbands, meaning not to every man. Women are not called to submit to every man of the church, just to your husbands. And this is done as to the Lord, meaning the wife submits to the husband out of reverence to the Lord. What does that mean? It means that the wife acknowledges and follows the authority of her husband with the intention of honoring God. She can always voice her thoughts and opinions about a matter, but the husband has the authority to make the final call. The wife can make decisions without the husband, but she does so out of respect for his authority. The purpose of submission for the wife is to acknowledge Christ as the ultimate authority and represent the church that submits to Christ's authority which is something that I think we often miss at times when we discuss this, because we think that marriage is about us and what we want and what we would like. But as Christians, we forgo our own wants to trust in God and in how he says things should be done. Wives are called to submit, to symbolically represent how the church submits to God. This is definitely easier said than done, not just in your own lives, but in the lives of others as we see manipulation, abuse, and power plays within marriages to control what the other spouse does. All these things are a result of sin that affects both men and women, husbands and wives. But despite the broken world we live in, we are called to put, our, put away our desires and to follow God, namely because God created marriage. And as we mentioned last week, God has an eternal patent on it. So God decides how the institution of marriage works, not us. Even though it can be hard to submit to your husband's authority, wives, you are called to trust God in how he decides your marriage should be. One of the most beautiful parts about trusting God is that we serve a God who can empathize with our struggles. We know that Christ, we know this as Christ himself submitted to the Father's will as he took on flesh, became human, and died on the cross for our sins. We see this both in the Gospel of Mark and Luke, in Mark 14, 36, 
and in Luke 22:43, where Jesus is absolutely distressed as he is called to submit to God the Father by receiving the penalty for our sins. Both God the Father and God the Son are equally God, yet they have different roles they perform within the Godhead. In Mark's account, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he describes his own soul as sorrowful, even to the point of death. In, Luke's, in Luke, we see Jesus' distress manifest as great globs of sweat falling off of him like blood. Jesus, in this passage, was struggling to submit um, was struggling to submit in being separated from God while he was on the cross as he took the punishment that we deserved. Yet despite this, we see Christ submitting to his Father's will. However, this wasn't the only time that he submitted to his Father's will. As we read through the Gospels, it's clear that he is always willing to submit. Wives, even though you are of equal value and worth before God as your husband's, you are still called to submit to him. It is for the very same reason that Christ himself submitted to the Father, that God's glory may be, no, may be made known through the proclamation of the gospel. If you would turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 3, we will read verses 1 to 2. First Peter 3, verses 1 to 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter is telling the church that wives, by submitting to their unbelieving husbands, communicate the truth of the gospel to their husbands, and I believe to the world. And this is done through their actions. Thereby submission leads some to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So wives, you get to communicate the message of the gospel through your actions, not just your words. And this is done not just to your husbands, but to the world. And wives, if you're wondering how much you should submit to your husbands, the answer is to the extent to which you represent Christ. In situations where harm or abuse is to fall upon you or your children, wives, you are not to uphold your submission to your husband, but to Christ. Because at that point, submitting to your husband does not represent Christ and does not communicate the gospel through your actions. So if submission points to the gospel, what then does the husband's role represent? The answer we will see is the same. Looking back at Ephesians 5, we're going to start now at verse 23. Ephesians 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one 
ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A husband's role is often referred to as headship, meaning God is granting the husband authority over his wife. This headship is then modeled in Christ as Paul commands husbands to love their wives. And love here is not described as a fleeting feeling, but as a command to do so at all times. The passage then goes on to describe the role of a husband in a mystery, in that husbands are called to love their wives in view of Christ's love for his church. As verse 25 clarifies, to the point of giving up his very life for her. In doing so, the husband, through his actions, communicates the gospel both to his wife and to the world. Now, what does that look like? Husbands are called to love their wives well every single day in every opportunity that they get. Husbands are to do so by taking into consideration the needs of his wife and placing them before his own. Peter echoes this in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, where he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The husbands are called to live in an understanding way to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. That term over the years, some have interpreted to mean that women are more in touch with their emotions than men. In consequence, men have a tendency to be less emotionally sensitive with their words and actions. Others think that it may refer to physical strength. And that makes sense if Peter could have been addressing physical or sexual abuse within marriages. However, in the immediate context of these words, it would make the most sense that he's referring to wives as the weaker vessel in terms of authority, in that she is the one subject to the husband's authority. Peter warns husbands not to abuse their authority because doing so is sin before God. He communicates this by saying that a husband's prayers would be hindered and throughout scripture, when we see prayers being hindered, it is usually a matter of sin. The wife submits to the husband. When the wife submits to the husband, it is also a submission in liability, in that the husband will be held responsible in part for his wife's spiritual growth. Therefore, husbands, love your wives with the greatest care, for you will one day have to answer to God for the authority that God has given you. Ephesians 5 ends off with Paul summing up both his points as husbands are called to love their wives and wives to respect their husband's authority. That respect is required to back the husband's role in marriage, whether it's in front of strangers, your own children, or your friends. That doesn't mean you can't confide in close friends about your marriage, but to do so in a manner that is both honoring to God and your husband. I have said earlier that a point we miss at times is that marriage is not about us, but God. Likewise, headship and submission has no bearing on our own personal preferences but it, because it points to eternity. Marriage represents an eternity between Christ and his church first and foremost. So the wife's submission to her husband and the husband's love for his wife demonstrates what 
we will witness in eternity. Jesus speaking on eternity makes it clear that marriage ends in this life, that in heaven none of us will be married as we are all united together in Christ. Has it occurred to you that in heaven you will love everyone there more than you love your spouse currently or will ever love them in the future? That is Christ's redemptive work in full display and to completion. This means that submission and headship between a husband and a wife aren't permanent roles, but are temporary by design, temporary to point to what lasts forever, and that is Christ's love for his bride, his church. In eternity, we will all be in submission to God as he is our groom. We follow these gender roles because this life is not about us because we are called to trust in God's will above our own. Wives, if you are asked, why do you submit to your husband's authority in your life? The answer is, you do so to honor God, because you were called to trust in God's will for your life above your own. Husbands, if you are asked, why do you sacrifice so much to love your wife and kids? The answer is that you do so to honor God, because you trust in God's will for your life above your own. Before we continue on, let's address those who aren't married. What do these verses mean for you? Men, it means that our role in marriage, God willing one day, is to lead the home. This means that you have to set a disciplined life that honors God, and it'll only make it easier to make sound, godly decisions for your family one day. And if you can't do that for yourself, how do you expect to do so for a family? And that's not meant to be discouraging. That's meant to be a good thing because we've all fallen short of God's standards. So we depend on God to fulfill these gender roles. If you want to be a good husband one day, if you want to be a good wife, seek to follow Christ, always putting away sins in your life that get in the way of that. Women, in marriage, you will have to submit to the authority that God has ordained for your good. This is done out of reverence to God, to trust him in the authority that he has instituted. So both men and women, set your standards high. To those who are dating, it is important to discuss these roles and how the other person sees them playing out in marriage. This way, the both of you can be on the same page if you do decide to go ahead and get married. Now let's address two arguments presented by those who would disagree with gender roles within marriage. The first is found in Ephesians 5, verse 21, which is right above the passage that we've already read earlier. In Ephesians 5, verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The argument against gender roles goes like this. Well, if we're supposed to submit to one another in the church, and Paul uses the same word in the following verses for wives, then it clearly can't mean that the husband is given authority over the wife in marriage. However, this argument falls apart when you simply look at the structure of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, as Paul usually begins with the general concept and then clarifies. So roles within marriage are still distinct from the church. The second argument is presented in Galatians 3, verse 28, and this letter to the Galatians is yet another one of Paul's letter. So let's see what scripture says. Looking at Galatians 3, verse 28, it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Someone who would disagree with me would say, well, here it says we're all one, as in the same. All the distinctions 
that we see aren't there before God. So there can't be distinctions in gender roles in marriage because both the wife and the husband are the same in Christ. But Galatians 3.28 is really addressing that we're all equal in Christ in terms of salvation, as Paul is stressing unity within the body. Furthermore, salvation doesn't remove our distinctive roles within marriage, but it is related to it as gender roles in marriage communicates the gospel and points to eternity. Having addressed gender roles as prescribed within marriage, we now shift to the topic of gender roles within the church. We'll mainly be focusing on two passages. The first is in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 to 40, and the second is in 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 15. As you are turning there, there are a few important things to discuss. When we look at scripture, we see that the church is instructed in how it should conduct itself and honor God. The church functions under the authority of scripture itself. It is ordered and organized by the word of God, and this is done out of reverence for Christ. So we follow gender roles within the church because, and we follow gender roles within the church, and it is done out of reverence to Christ. As we read these two passages, please keep in mind my main point. The church, by trusting God in his prescribed gender roles, gives honor to God. The first passage will be in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 to 40, and it says the following. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in, in church, or was it to you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Before we read 1 Timothy, I do want to be clear that I will not be addressing the gifts of the Spirit in this sermon. For the sake of the sermon, just know that the gifts of the Spirit are intended to help build up the church. Now let's look at 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 15. 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 15. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Before we go any further, I would like to address a few things so that we're on the same page. First, when 1 Timothy brings up um, Genesis in mentioning Adam and Eve, Paul is implying that Adam was given the authority from God, but Eve did not trust God in the authority that was placed in her husband. So Eve was deceived by the snake, and Adam willfully sinned. In the end, both Adam and Eve sinned. The second thing is when it says that a that the woman will be saved through childbearing. I personally understand this verse to be talking first about Eve in, t 
in the sense that through the lineage of the child she gave birth to came Jesus, the salvation of the world, and then points to women today and instructs them to continue to bear fruit or show signs of their salvation in Jesus. This verse by no means implies that women are saved if they give birth to children. Believing in Jesus is the only way. Next, I do wish to give credit to someone who has helped me better understand these passages, and that would be Kathy Keller, the wife of Tim Keller, in her book, Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles. I would definitely recommend this book in which she not only gives a concise scriptural backing for biblical gender roles in ministry, but she also speaks on her personal experience as being a woman in ministry. When talking about roles of women in the church, Keller draws the line beautifully at two words on to this particular issue. The two words are authoritative teaching. Now, what does that mean? It means that the role in the church that decides the understanding of scripture to the whole church body. Authoritative teaching is only applicable in the context of the whole church. Paul is saying that women are not permitted to be a pastor or elder, but everything else is permissible for a woman when it comes to ministry. Let's look at 1 Corinthians and then tie in 1 Timothy as well. In 1 Corinthians, let's see what Paul is saying and what he is not saying when he writes, the women should keep silent in the churches. Is Paul really saying that women are called to be silent during an entire church service, using scripture to interpret scripture? We see in 1 Corinthians 11 verse five that Paul speaks of instances where women pray and even prophesy in the public church setting. Women are called to build up the church in a public way. Clearly, Paul does not mean the literal silence of women. Paul is calling on women to not authoritatively dictate what, this, what scripture says to the whole church. We see this in context of 1 Corinthians 14 as the church is deciding what the whole church is to believe. It is in this context that Paul is instructing women not to engage and it says that this is a command from the Lord. I want to be clear that this is not a matter of capability, but of permissibility. It is not what a woman can do. It is what God is calling women to do. Do we then, as his servants, trust and obey him in that? We see this portrayed in scripture. An example of that would be found in 1 Samuel, when you see Saul selected as king. And there's this key passage where Saul is told to wait for Samuel to perform a sacrifice to the Lord before proceeding in battle. And what does Saul do? He doesn't wait. He does the sacrifice himself, and that is when Samuel walks in. Immediately, Saul is rebuked by God, but why? It's just a sacrifice, right? It's no big deal, right? I mean, nowhere does it say that he did it wrong. Surely, he's seen the high priest do it a million times before. But God was not happy with Saul because Saul did not trust God in his appointed role, but rather, decided, but, but rather desired to fulfill the role of a priest, one that he was not born into. Women are, are not called to authoritatively teach from scripture to both men and women because God says so through his word. We are called to trust God in what he says. In Romans 12 verse 1, Christians are called to let our lives be a living sacrifice to God, which means we are not called to live for ourselves, but for God. The question here is not one of capability. Do women have the ability to preach to men and women on Sunday or to be an elder? Absolutely. But does scripture lay that out as a role for them to fulfill? No. 
In the passage in 1 Timothy, we actually see the words authoritatively teach. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 11, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Keller points out that the grammatical structure in the Greek communicates a single idea. This verse would be understood that women are not called to authoritatively teach over a man. This would take the form of women not having the final say in what the church believes in and also not having the authority to remove someone from church membership for believing in a false gospel. It means that men and women can have a discussion over a Bible study. It means that you can listen to a man or a woman speak on the word of God. But women are not given the same authority with the whole congregation, i.e. Sunday service, where they would be authoritatively teaching scripture or preaching. Paul in 1 Timothy then goes on to talk about the office of elder, which is solely set apart for men because their function in part is to authoritatively teach. Anything outside of these bounds are speculative at best and is not grounded in scripture. Furthermore, it is not Paul's intention here, nor is it of the church, to deny that women can also have the gift of teaching. But all gifts are used in accordance with the word of God, so to use one's gifts outside of the bounds of scripture violates the very thing that it is called to represent. The next thing I wanna say is that when it comes to life outside of the church, in which men and women have no restrictions placed on them by scripture, so you can aspire and trust in the Lord in whatever your dreams may be. Now let's address life within the church. You may be a woman and you may feel that it is your God-given ability to teach and instruct anyone who needs to know Jesus. And to that, I say praise God. You can do that in every setting except one, and that is the authoritative teaching position to both men and women within a church. Some of you may be wondering, what's the big deal? What's at stake? To which scripture would respond saying that what's at stake is who you are representing. It is the light of your witness of who Christ is and how much he loves his church. In response, we as his church submit to his word. I am sure that there are those here who would disagree with me and can I just come out and say that that's okay, but only to a point? Just because your salvation is not at stake, that doesn't mean your witness of the gospel isn't. Earlier I mentioned the Southern Baptist Convention. One of the professors from a Southern Baptist seminary commented on the discussion of gender roles they were having and said that gender roles within the church perpetuate a culture of misogyny and inherently degrade a woman's value. It is no secret that the church has globally struggled with a history of misogyny, as have the culture around us, as exposed by the recent Me Too movement. I wanna be clear and sensitive about this. Every church leader or husband who has abused their authority with their wife or children or church community was wrong to do so. The degradation of the image of God given to us by God is a slight first and foremost against God himself. We as his church should take measures that protect us from that by ensuring that all church leadership are held accountable in their lives. However, every church leader or husband who has fallen short did not do so because they are a man, but because of their own sinful condition So replacing or equating men's and women's roles in the church isn't going to solve this issue of sin. Christ, through the gospel, has already beaten sin with a single blow on the cross. So when it comes to gender roles in the church, we are called to trust him in how we live our lives, whether that is easy for us to digest or not. 
We see this as the early church had both men and women working side by side to further the gospel. We as a church are called to work side by side as men and women. A friend of mine said it best, the church needs both men and women to serve within the church. It can't function with just one gender and it's not complete with just one gender. This is because both men and women bring different strengths to the table, differences that are good and necessary. I want to make it clear that the Bible never, and I mean never, belittles one group of people over another. As we've covered in Galatians 3.28, we all have the same value before God. One gender is not given special treatment by God, but the God who created both genders now has the ultimate say, or the patent, if you will, on how things are run. And I can almost feel the heartbreak of someone who aspires to do something that they're then told they can't do. Let me assure you that the intention here is not to be mean or belittle anyone. In fact, we as Christians are called to capacities we don't always prefer, but we trust God regardless of the difficulties of the task. I will close with the words of Kathy Keller, and hopefully this will be a comfort for those of you who are still struggling to grasp this. Earlier, I raised the question, why did God arrange things this way, with a gender-based division of labor? At the end of the day, I still don't know. I could speculate, but speculation often leads to error. I will follow that ancient divine who said, where God has shut his holy mouth, I will not venture to open mine. I have found it fruitless, leading only to self-pity and anger in my own life, to question God's disposition of things when I do not understand. Confidence in his goodness has been a better choice. Let us close in prayer and submit all these things to God. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this moment that we have to look at your word and to understand your truth. I pray that you, O Lord in heaven, would work in all of our hearts to be obedient to your word, to know that even though this walk with you is difficult and hard at times, that you say that, that um, your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and that we all submit our burdens to you. And we pray that in this moment, that you, Lord, would, be, would comfort us and would um, encourage us to follow your truth. In your name we pray, amen.